But it's back to school Sunday. And I wanted to talk as I was thinking about back to school. I was reminded of, you know, Jesus in Matthew 28. He, he uses a word that to refer to us as his followers. And that word is called disciple. And the word disciple in its original language really means a student or an apprentice or someone who's learning. That we are called to be students of Jesus. And I want to talk today about what it means to be a disciple and how it applies to our lives. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's truly a light uh, to our path, a lamp to our feet. And God, I pray as we open up your word today, God, that we know you're speaking, God. So we pray that you would just uh, speak to each of us. God, and we open our hearts and minds to receive for what you have. And it's in the name of Jesus. And everybody says, Amen. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. I only have a few scriptures to start off with here. Uh, Many of you know this. It's called the Great Commission. Verse 18. Jesus came to them, his disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Of course, he was physically going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. So being with you always, he was referring to the Holy Spirit that was coming uh, for every believer that would be with us to the end of the age. I want to share with you three points, three applications. Really, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, to follow Jesus? Jesus. So if you're taking notes, here's point one. To be a disciple of Jesus, we first put God first. We put God first. John 3.30, John, one of the disciples, says this, that he, referring to God, must become greater and I must become less. Uh, One of the translations says that he must increase and I must decrease. Jesus said it this way, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the other things that you desire in life will be added unto you. This idea of God being first, of God being greater in our life. This week I was reminded of my daughter Hannah when she was younger, about two years old. She used to have this stuffed mini doll that she loved. It was kind of like this size and it had a pink outfit and pink bow. She loved this mini. She would sleep with this mini, kind of was real cute, kind of in bed with her. She'd bring it with her on long trips. She had this mini with her. In fact, at one point, we actually um, lost the mini, a little crisis in the Burroughs household. Come on, parents, you know that feeling? So we bought two minis. Come on, somebody. That's a little parenting pro tip. If your kid likes something a lot, just buy multiples. But She only had the mini with her when she was in bed at night or when she was on a long trip, really to comfort her. So she didn't have mini with her all the time. And I was thinking about that because if we're not careful at times, in the same way that Hannah had this stuffed mini, I had myself here this morning, a little plush Jesus this morning. You know, they sold plush Jesus. Well, I didn't either. Until this week when I was looking for an illustration. Here's what I mean. I don't think it's biblically accurate either. Um, 
Uh, kind of did some inspection. I don't, I don't think he looks this way. But um, anyways, <laughs> here's what I mean. Hannah only wanted many at certain times when she needed to be comforted. And if we're not careful, we can treat God the same way. Like when, when, when the breakup happens, we turn to God. But yet we don't put God first when the relationship starts. Or when money's tight, God, I need you. But we don't put God first in our finances when money's good. That when life is hard, we're like, God, bail me out. But when life is good, we put God to the side. Hey, listen. God will comfort you when you are going through a hard time. God may even bail you out when you need it. But if your relationship with God is you only turn to him when life is hard, you are missing out on the best that God has for you. Listen, Jesus isn't an insurance plan. (laughs) I mean, if that's what you want, I mean, that's what you might get. But listen, he said, I came to give you life and life to the full, a life full of peace, a life full of purpose, a life full of joy. And if you want that in your life, he must be first. That means he's Lord. That means, that means, God, you are Lord of my life. You sit on the throne of my life. I have given up the driver's seat of my life, and I have put it in the hands of Jesus. God, your way is better than my way. In Luke 14, 7, or Luke 15, 7, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. Luke 14, 27. In Rome, in ancient Rome, when you would carry a cross in Rome, so what happened is, is that you people would, would take a cross and they would carry it through the streets of Rome. And what you were declaring when you carried a cross through the streets of Rome, you were declaring publicly, Rome's way is the better way and my way is the wrong way. Here's what Jesus says. Hey, listen, when you take up your cross and follow me, It's actually not saying that there's a harder life in store for you. It's actually saying that God's way is a better way, that God's way is the way to peace, that God's way is the way to joy. So I willingly take up my cross. I lay down my life, not because my life is better. No, God's your way is better. That's what it means to be a disciple. Say, God, I'm going to follow you. God, I'm going to trust you. In fact, John 15, 5, Jesus said this. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, if you have a branch on a vine and you break it off, what happens to that branch over the course of time? It dies. It withers up and dries up, and there's no source of life. But Jesus is our source of life. I was reminded several years ago, we had family over our house, and we were kind of, had them over our house, it was evening, turning on some lights, and I had this lamp in our living room that would not turn on. So I thought, the bulb must be dead. So I go to our garage, I grab a bulb, come on, good husband, change the light bulb out. That's about the extent of my handy experience right there, right? I'm like, I can't fix anything, I'll change a light bulb out though. 
I changed it out. Still would not work. So I thought to myself, well, I must need a new lamp because we, we kind of had this lamp now through several moves. You know, lamps don't do well in moving trucks. So I thought, it's just the lamp is dead. So I'm scrolling on, on Amazon looking for a new lamp. Christina, in her profound wisdom, looked upon the ground, noticed the cord was not plugged into the wall. <laughs> so what I found out was I wasted a bulb because voila, the lamps worked. Listen, we were getting frustrated trying to turn on a lamp without power. And listen, if we try to parent parents going back to school without the power of the Holy Spirit, you might end up frustrated. If you try to go, go to work and deal with that coworker that gets on your nerves, come on, somebody, you know who you're talking about. And if you can't think of someone, you might be that coworker. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Partially kidding. It might actually be true. Talk to God about it. Hey, you might lose your peace. But listen, we need to stay connected to the vine. Connected. Listen, I want you to hear this. Discipleship. It's a term if you've been around church you've heard. Discipleship is not a class. It's found in a relationship with Jesus. It's not a program. It's a relationship with Jesus. Now, there's classes and programs, and we have community groups launching in a few weeks. There's, there's, there's things that help us in our relationship with God, but it's, it's not religious. It's out of our relationship. It's being connected to the vine. I want to challenge you. Maybe for some of you, this summer, you know, summertime is a time where we get back to routines. And maybe this summer, some of your spiritual routines have gotten out of order. Maybe, maybe your time with God has kind of slid down the priority list. Maybe worship has slid down the priority list. Maybe there's areas of your life God hasn't been first. If you're honest, maybe in your dating life, God hasn't been first. Maybe in your finances, God hasn't been first. Maybe at work, God hasn't been a consideration. I want to encourage you, once again, whatever that area is for you, to put God first once again. If you believe it, can you say amen? Because when we put him first, all the other things have a way of, as Jesus says, adding unto us. John 8, 31, Jesus says this, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. So he's referring to the word of God. He's saying if you hold to the scriptures, if you hold to what I've been teaching you and showing you, that's what it means to be a disciple. And just recently, my, my allergies started to act up again. And I was reminded several years ago when I, my allergies felt like kind of, kind of kicked up a notch or pollen got heavier here. I don't know what it was. But I went to the doctor because I was like, I need some help. And she, she, she prescribed me, or not prescribed, but rather advised me to take a steady dosage of Zyrtec D and Flonase. And they're actually, they work very well for me. About a year later, my allergies start kicking up again. So I think to myself, okay, I've heard of these allergy shots. Come on, somebody. I'm like, doc, I even came in with like a sleeveless shirt on. Come on, just like give me a shot. And she said, she said, well, are you taking the Zyrtec D and the Flonase? And I said, yeah, I take it when, when I start to get symptoms like my congestion. And some of you already know where I'm, know where I'm about to go because you're laughing at me. She said, no, the way this medication works is you take it every day, every, 
all the time. So that antihistamine builds up in your body so you don't actually get the symptoms. And listen, sometimes if we're not careful, we can, we can treat through the teachings of Jesus, the word of God, like I treated my doctor's orders. That, that we don't embrace them wholeheartedly. That we follow the scriptures. Can we be honest for a moment? There are some scriptures, depending on who you are, it might be different ones, that are easier for some people to follow. Maybe there are some that's easier for you to follow and other ones that's harder, right? Like there are some that you're like, I like that one. The other ones you're like, oof, okay, okay, you know. It's like if you're working out at the gym and there's some movements. Come on, it's like leg day. Everyone skips leg day. Come on, somebody, right? It's like leg day. I think it's arm day again, you know. It's like there are some scriptures that are just harder to, to live out. But listen, if you want to experience God's best, all that he has for you, and listen, I want you to hear this. I don't know what your perspective of God may have been coming before today, but God has a great plan for your life. God has purpose for your life. In fact, Jesus said this, that when you hear the word, like today you're hearing the word of God, and you put the word of God into practice, even the ones that are harder to put into practice, he says, blessed you will be. That word blessed is the word makarios, which means happy. Do you know one thing that we are sold every day is happiness? You ever notice this when you scroll social media, like you're scrolling Instagram, and you see an advertisement, and all you see is happy people, and you're like, oh, I want that. And then you realize it's some, like, random medication for some random disorder. You're like, oh, what do they sell? They sell happiness, right? A car commercial, they're happy. A beer commercial, they're happy. Like, why? Because we all want joy, right? And what does Jesus say? The one who saved our soul, he says, when you put my word into practice, that's when you experience true joy in your life. So we're called to put God first. Again, I want to challenge you. Maybe what area of God's word, maybe have you not been embracing and living out? Listen, we'll never achieve perfection. That's not, that's not God's heart. He's not demanding. He's not harsh. He's loving. He's gracious. But he also wants us to experience the very best that he has for us. So we have to put God first. Here's point number two. We also have to live differently. We're called to live different as his disciple. Matthew 5.13, Jesus tells his disciples, tells us today, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Salt makes things stand out. You ever had this experience? You ever, you ever made food like you made dinner? And then you eat it, and you're like, this, it's kind of rough. And then you sprinkle a little salt, and you're like, oh, bon appetit. <laughs> I should write a recipe book. But all you did was add salt. Come on, somebody, right? Listen, most people would never eat vegetables if it wasn't for salt, right? I would never eat vegetables, right? Like, thank God for salt. Salt's amazing. It makes things stand out. Today, you will eat lunch. I guarantee you it probably has some salt in it because otherwise it would not taste good, okay? Salt stands out. Salt also makes things better. Jesus said, as you're my follower, you're my disciple, 
You are called to stand out. You are called to make the world around you better. I have a firm conviction that if we truly embrace the ways of Jesus, if we truly live out the word of God, that the more the, the presence of more Christians in a community should make that community better for everybody. Can I get an amen? Like the more Christians in a workplace should make that workplace better for everybody. Why? Because the ways of Jesus, we're called to be kind and generous and forgiving and gracious and mercy. Who doesn't want more mercy and generosity and grace and forgiveness in a culture that can be harsh and greedy and unforgiving? Oh, I tell you, listen, if we embrace the ways of Jesus. You know, a lot of times people who have a problem with Christianity, they don't have a problem with Christ. They have a problem with people who've misrepresented him. Because if you really see who Jesus is, listen, I'm not perfect. None of us are. But as we embrace more of who he is, Jesus says you'll stand out. And listen, we're not called to stand out like the world tells us to. It doesn't mean that we're called to stand out by the way that we look or the, or, or the, or the houses we own or the or the jobs we get. No. Do you know what standing out for Christ can look like? It can look like having peace in the midst of the hardest season of your life. And people are like, what? How do you have peace? It's you having joy even when you're overlooked once again for a promotion. They're like, how do you, why are you so happy? Are you doing drugs? That's good. No, I got the joy of the Lord that even when I'm overlooked, I'm so there's a joy. You know, with back to school, we've been having conversations with my kids. We went back to school shopping, and I was reminded how so much of what kids often desire back to school is like to, they want to fit in with their friends, right? Like certain clothes, certain shoes. I remember back in the days, so I'm, I grew up in the 1990s. And uh, I remember back when I was, when I was going to school, the, the thing that was in, some of you are old enough to remember this, were starter jackets. Anybody else had a starter jacket? Come on, somebody. I, I love the Chicago Bulls starter jacket. I have a picture of one. Come on. There you go, baby. There it is. That thing is hot. I'd rock that today. And come on, like, that was it. Anybody else that was your school? Like, you had to have a starter jacket. So people had different starter jackets. And, you know, like, they were so in. It's like first day of school. It's 95 degrees out, but you're still wearing it. Come on. You're, like, sweating. You're like, what's up? What's up? Had little pockets right here. So you're like, yeah, what's up? What's up? Sweat pouring down your face. You're like, yeah. I got one, too. Right? Uh, but there's this, like, I see it in my kids already, right? There's, there's, a, there's a peer pressure. There's pressure to, to fit in, right? And there's a desire to want to be accepted. It comes from a place, I think, oftentimes in our hearts of, that are pure. We want to be accepted by people. You know, Everyone wants that. And pressure and, 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 it, and a pressure to, to fit in or conform also exists in adulthood. Have you realized that? It's like you can have certain expectations in your workplace, like maybe for you, there's a certain pressure to stay past a certain time or to work a certain amount of hours. Or maybe you feel like there's pressure that at your age you should have a certain degree or, 
or or success in your job, be at a certain place, or maybe in your family, you're going to feel this as the holidays come up and you go back. There's a pressure to be married at a certain age. Or people are saying, when are you having kids? Come on, somebody. There's pressure. And, and, and pressure it exists. But pressure becomes painful when we feel pressure to compromise our convictions of our faith. Because... Because the way of Jesus is, is the way that leads to life. So when we feel that pressure, and listen, I, I say this to my kids often, because we'll have conversations about different kind of you know, cultural norms. And I'll tell them this. I'm going to speak this over you today. As I tell them, and I'm going to tell you today, that you were not created to fit in. You were created to stand out. You were created to stand out. By how kind you are in a culture that can be a little bit of a harshness. That you're forgiving in a culture that promotes canceling. That you're generous in a culture that's consumed with consumption. That you were called to stand out. You are the salt of the earth. Can I get an amen? You're called to live differently. We're called to live differently. We're called to stand out. In fact, we see this throughout the scriptures. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament, they stood out for being faith-filled in a culture that was faithless. Esther stood out. She was courageous in a culture where there was cowardice. We see that, that, that Ruth was stood out by being selfless in a culture that was selfish. David stood out in a culture like King Saul where kings were prideful. David was humble, called to, to stand out. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. So Paul says this to the church of Thessalonica because there were, there were Christians. Thessalonica was a very political culture. And there were Christians who were, who were getting political and, and they were being more faithful to their political party than they were to their faith, to Jesus. So he says, live a quiet life. Don't, don't get caught up in the politics of the day at the expense of your faith. And how many of you know that that still applies today? Can I get an amen? We're called to be more faithful to Jesus than we are the elephant or the donkey. <laughs> or name your party. <laughs> Have your perspective but not at the expense of your faith. That's what Paul was saying. Be, be different. Be different. And at some point in our life, too, regardless of your political persuasion, how many of you know that your faith will put you at odds with your party? Because no party has the corner on Jesus. That, that, that at some time, we'll have to be kind of faced with whom will we be more loyal to. And Paul's saying, I want you to stand out. I want you to stand out. And then there were some people who were taking advantage of others. That's why Paul says, I love this. He says, mind your own business. Come on. Just tell us, Paul. Mind your business and work with your hands. Here's why. Because some people weren't working and they, they could work and they chose not to work. He says, get to work so you won't be dependent on anybody. How many of you know hard work is biblical? Can I get an Amen. He's saying, work hard, take care of yourself, 
And don't get caught up in the cultural divisions of the day. Be light. Be salt. Shine the light of Christ. A few months ago, I was at a, a local Mexican restaurant with some friends of mine here at the church. And I was looking at the menu. And I was kind of feeling the chicken enchiladas that day. I often feel like chicken enchiladas. I mean, they're really good. You can't go wrong. But then all of a sudden, the waiter walks by with fajitas. And you know, it's like crackling. I, they do that on purpose. Right? I'm like, do you, do you have to have it be cooking in front of my nose? You smell the steak. You, you, can, you can sense the warmth of the warm tortilla. And you're like, done. I'm getting fajitas. That the fragrance was, was pleasing. It caused me to want what that waiter was carrying. You ever been there at a restaurant? You smell something? Like, I want that. Hey, listen, here's what Paul says. There's a follower of Christ that our life should have an aroma that's pleasing to people. It's gracious, kind, it's forgiving, it's integrous. Hey, can I speak plainly this morning? You want to stand out in 2023, have integrity. Do what you say you're going to do. Be who you say you're called to be. And have integrity. Be honest. Have an ethic about you. Have a standard, which our standard is not one we make up. It's found in the word of God. Can I get an amen? That way we live with it with an integrity, with an ethic. We live generously. We live kind, we live gracious. I say it this way, we're called to live in a way that makes people curious about Jesus. I am um, part of my own journey. So I was, many of you know my story, I was, I was far from God in my mid-20s. And part of the, the reason I came back to faith in Jesus is I met someone. And, and I'll never forget when I met them, they had this joy that was like, Nothing phased it. And they were kind to everybody they met, like the coworker, like even the annoying one. I was like, I'd tell them off. They were kind. They were kind to the cashier at the grocery store, kind to people at their church, kind to their neighbor, even the one who parked in their spot. Kind to everybody. I was like, there's something about this person that's different. As I got to know them, I realized, and it was their faith in Jesus. And it drew me back to faith because their life had a pleasing aroma to it. Like, I was far from God. I didn't yet align with, with their beliefs. But there was something about their life that appealed. It appealed to me. And the ways of Jesus appeal to our culture. I want to challenge us to live in a way that makes people curious about our God. And here's the last and final point. So we got to put God first. We live differently. And then lastly, we have to share our hope. Share our hope. Jesus was a different kind of rabbi. He was a rabbi in that day. And typically, a rabbi would be chosen by his students. But yet Jesus chose his disciples. And can I encourage someone today? That before you ever chose God, God chose you. The Bible says it this way. When you were still a sinner, meaning when you were, when you were far from God, away from God, that 
God sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for you. To forgive your sins, past, present, and future. Meaning before you wanted anything to do with God, he died for you. That's the good news of the gospel. Can I get an amen? And, and so Jesus, he, he chooses us. He's not waiting back to make a, he's already made the first move. He died on a cross for us. But now we just simply respond to him. And then this is also unique. Jesus, it was not typical for a rabbi to tell his disciples to go and make disciples. But Jesus tells his disciples, hey, you know how we've just been hanging out for a little while? And, and some of you, you thought I would have kicked you out by now, Peter? Come on, somebody. Hey, how I made you my disciple. I want you now to go and make disciples. It's also intriguing, he says, to go to the ends of the earth. The average Jewish man at this point in history would have traveled no more than 30 miles from their house. So they would have only seen people who looked like them, thought like them, and had the same background. So it would have been mind-blowing. They didn't have the Internet then. So they couldn't just go online and see across the world. He says, I want you to take this message to the ends of the earth. It's a reminder. He's, he's telling these young Jewish men, I didn't just come for the Jewish people. I came for the Gentiles. I didn't just come for those who look like you and think like you. I came for all people. Aren't you grateful that Jesus came for all people? Can I get an amen? He sends out to go make, make disciples. Matthew 4, he gives this instruction to his disciples. So to give you context, if you like this aspect about the Bible, so Matthew 28 was kind of his final parting instruction to his disciples. Matthew 4 was the first time he called his disciples. In Matthew 4, he says this as he's calling his disciples. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know, what's intriguing is Jesus doesn't say, come follow me. And I will make you a biblical scholar. Although we should read the Bible. You know the Bible. He didn't say, follow me. Now I'll make you more eloquent in your prayers. Although we should pray. He didn't say, follow me. And you will be the most faithful church attender. Although we should attend church. What is the pinnacle of discipleship out of the mouth of Jesus? That we would be fishers of men. In Matthew 28, how does he word it? That you would make disciples. That the fruit of our life and the way that we live our life should make other people around us disciples of Jesus. Parents, the way we live should make our children disciples of Jesus. The way that we work would inspire others to become disciples of Jesus. The way that we love people in our community should inspire others to become disciples of Jesus. We are all called to be fishers of men. And it's not just my role as the pastor. You might think, what's well, this your role, pastor? No, it's the role of a disciple. That's you. I'm a disciple too. That's my role too. Now, yes, I have a role in the church as a leader. There's a biblical role for that, but, but we're all called to make disciples. And, and let me give you com- further context because there's a popular quote, and I, I think there's truth in this quote, but I also think there's a 
there's an inaccuracy in this quote personally. This is Jeremy's personal perspective. You may have heard it. It says, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. I think the truth of that statement is your life should reflect the gospel. Can I get an amen? Like you should embody the gospel. Your life, like don't be mean at work and then say, hey, come sit with me at church. (laughs) Be nice first. Like don't yell at your neighbor for parking in your spot and say, you should come with me this Sunday. No, that's not how we do things. Now, but listen, you should life should embody the gospel. Listen, if you're a follower of Christ, you know about Jesus because someone told you. Paul said this in Romans 10. How will people know if no one tells them? So this whole idea of I'll just live it out, but I'll never say it. It's not being a disciple. We're called to share our faith. That the reason... I'm so forgiving is not because I'm a great person, because I've been forgiven of much. I've been forgiven of so much, I can't hold a grudge. The reason I'm kind is because I'm not a good person. It's because it's God's kindness that's led me to repentance. It's the grace of God that I'm gracious. Are you hearing me, church? So people should know why we are different, why our faith's inspired us that we have a responsibility to share our faith. And let me just break it down for you. I'm not saying tomorrow at work you need to have a three-point sermon. You probably shouldn't. Probably shouldn't. But when the opportunities arise and someone asks you, man, you, you always come in just full of joy. And there's an there's a open door that you can share why you have joy. Hey, what you're going through a really hard season. How do you maintain your peace? Or, hey, this workplace is crazy. How are you keeping your sanity? You can share, hey, here's, here's what's, what helps me. I'm not perfect, but here's what my relationship with God. Well, how is your marriage so healthy when marriage is so hard? Well, honestly, our marriage probably, I don't know if it would even be together if it wasn't for Jesus. It's as simple as that. It's not that you have to, like, know all the scriptures. And listen, Jesus didn't say, once you've read the Bible front to back seven times and you've followed me for 15 years and you've attended church 97 times, not any more, not any less, then you make disciples. Hey, the moment you become a disciple, go and make disciples. Because the most powerful most powerful way to share Christ is to share what he's doing in your life. That's it. You don't have to know everything. But you can share, man, here's how God's changing my life. He can, he can do it for you too. He wants that for all of us. We are called to share our faith. Luke 14, 23, Jesus, the parable of the banquets. And I love this. He tells his disciples in this parable, he's kind of sharing the story. This master's holding this banquet, so he tells his servant, go out into the roads and country, country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Jesus uses this parable to say, I want, I want, I want heaven to be full. Have you ever wondered, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, like 
You ever wondered, like, why hasn't Jesus come back? There's a, there's a scripture in Peter. I don't know if I share that with the team, but I forget the exact one. I think it's 1 Peter 4.9 or 3.9. But he essentially says this, that the reason Peter says, because they're asking Peter, why hasn't Jesus come back? Back then they were asking that. He says, because he's patient and he's waiting on more people to come to faith. If you ever wonder why hasn't Jesus returned, it's because he's waiting for more people who feel hopeless to find hope. He's waiting for more people who don't know God to know him. He's waiting for more, more individuals struggling with addiction to find freedom in Christ. He's waiting for more families who are broken to find restoration. He's waiting for more people riddled with with crippling anxiety to find a peace beyond all comprehension found in Jesus. He's waiting for more people to come to faith in him because he wants heaven to be full. That's why. We as a church are committed to that. We started this church. We didn't just start it for church people. People already know Christ, although people were a part of it since who already knew Christ. We started it for those who do not yet know Christ. And we have existed that way as a church, to be a place for people to come who are far from God, who don't know Jesus. That's why we exist in large part. And we've been making decisions as a church in that way for that reason. And, you know, for the past year, our leadership team of the church have been having conversations. They've kind of ramped up in the past three months about when we would add an additional service. First service was actually more packed than this in this room. Um, if, If you serve in kids' ministry, you know this. We've had several Sundays. Our kids' ministry has been very, very, very full. As a reminder, every Sunday is Hug a Kids Team Member Sunday. Come on, somebody. We'll change that. Buy a Kids Team Member Lunch Sunday. Come on, somebody. Bless the kids team. But we know that, man, we need to, we need to be able to make room for people. So our leadership team, uh, about a month ago now, uh, made the prayerful decision that starting on Better Together Sunday, which is September 17th, we as a church are moving from two services to three services. So our service times are going to be 8.30. And listen, if you love Jesus, that's your service. Like if you follow Jesus, you have to go to that one. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But if you're already up, that's a great one. Here's how we say that because the 10 o'clock and the 11.30 are kind of prime time services. So that early one, if you are up, we'd love for you to be a part of that one uh, because we know more than likely that one will be the smaller of the three services. Uh, but we are adding three services. You know, I, I, um, this summer I took my son Judah to, to Virginia Beach. Uh, I took our family to Virginia Beach for, we were there for a day. And we were, I was teaching him how to ride a wave. You know, it's what you do as a parent, right? You teach them the things of life. Here's how you body surf, right? <laughs> And he was getting frustrated because he was trying to ride the wave when the wave came. And it would engulf him. I said, son, you can't, you can't ride the wave when it comes. 
you got to get a little bit ahead of it. So when it comes, you can go with it. Once he realized that, it was like game over. We couldn't get him out of the water. Why do I share that? Because the fall time of year for us, the church, is we experience significant growth. September, last year, September, we had more first-time guests in September than any other month. So we're coming right now into the time of year. And for us, adding a service, we are making room for more people. And we are making room for more people who can discover the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. You know, I was reminded this week of the impact that you're having, if you didn't know this, in people's lives, through your generosity, through your service. There was a, uh, a gentleman who attended our church a couple years ago. He had come to Catalyst, and he had never, had not been to church in, in years. I met him out in the lobby, and he told me that, so I haven't been to church in years. If you haven't been to church in years, and when you show up at a church, I remember that feeling. I remember being anxious. I was like, what's going to happen to me here? Are these people going to be weird? Come on. Some people are weird, okay. Um, God's not weird. Just kidding. But he said I, he was real nervous, real nervous. So he came into service. Later that service, I remember seeing his hand go up to give his life to Jesus. And uh, he then, I remember he, we would text, and he, he started reading his Bible. And then he started growing in his faith. He experienced sobriety for the first time. And now he has a child. And he moved from the area. They still watch online. So if you're watching, I love you. And he's raising his child in the ways of Jesus. So his, I want you to hear this. His life has changed. His family's changed because of a church that made room for people just like him. So here's what I want to ask you to do as we close. I want to ask you, if this is your church home, if you're new, you can just hear about what we're going to do as a church. I want to ask you to do three things. This is your church home. Number one is I want you to pray. For us here at Catalyst, prayer is not a cliche statement. We believe that prayer is the greater work. Can I get an amen? It is the most important thing we do above all else. So I want you to pray for our church. I want you to pray for the people. There's a lot of people in this community who do not yet have the hope that we have in Jesus. Pray for them. Pray for them. Uh, number two, I'm going to ask you if this is your home church to serve on our dream team. Here's why. Because there's more opportunity than ever before for you to make a difference. And there's many ways for you to be involved in serving on our team. That This Grow Together car, if you can pull it out, even if you are not even going to fill this out, just make your pastor feel good right now. Pull it out. Some of you are like, nope, I'm not going to do that. That's okay. I love you. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do, though, in all sincerity. This is your home church. Whether it's, it's you can serve once a month, every other week. That's what most of our dream team serve, like every other week. Is I would love for you to be a part of our team. Because, listen, going to three services, we're going to need more greeters. Come on, greeters, where you at? We have one. See, we need more. Come on, happy people. We need you. If you love people, you're the kind of person you love to meet somebody, we need you to be a greeter. If you, if you love to invest in the next generation, we need you to teach kids the Bible or even just be in there with the teacher to assist. If you are like technology or are interested in our production team, 
Uh, come on, production team. They'll teach you. They'll equip you. Our setup team, who will get here early. Come on, setup team. There's many ways for you to serve. You'll see on this card many ways. Listen, our prayer team. We have a you know, we have a team that prays during service for you. I thank God. Listen, there, there's a place for you, and you can scan this QR code see the full list and description of teams, and then take this card you fill out. Do two things. You can either drop it in the drop box here in the auditorium in the lobby, or take it out to our guest services table. We have a T-shirt, and the T-shirt says "Better Together." Come on, somebody, because we're better together. You'll get, uh, we'll have team members there. If you have any questions, we'll have some team members there to answer any questions you might have about serving. So I want you to pray. I want you to serve. Here's the last one. I know I'm asking, I know I'm asking a lot of you, but I believe the mission of Jesus is worth it. Is that okay? Here's the last one. I want you to invite. I want you to invite. Here's why. That story I just shared about, do you know how he came to church? Someone invited him. And maybe you're not ready to share completely your faith and lead someone to Christ personally, but you can say, hey, can you come and sit with me in church on Better Together Sunday? On your way out, you're going to get a pack of cards like this. Here's what I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you to take that pack. Do not throw it away. Don't toss it in the glove box. Don't toss it in that drunk drawer at your house. Come on, everybody else have one of those? Like a black hole. You're like, where's that? Oh, I'll put it in that drawer. Don't put it there. Here's why. I want you to pray about you got three weeks until Better Together Sunday. Pray about who to invite. Pray for their heart. And then invite them to come sit with you in service. And we're believing to see many people come to faith just like that gentleman I mentioned to you on Better Together Sunday. Amen. Here's my final scripture, then we'll pray. Here's why this is important. Because the Bible says in Luke 15, 7, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Do you want to know what causes heaven to party? When people who don't have hope find hope. When people who didn't know they could live free find freedom. When people don't know that there's more in life in Jesus, find life in Jesus. That's what causes heaven to party. We exist as a church to cause heaven to throw parties. And if you're a disciple, your life is to, is to be a life that causes heaven to throw parties. Amen. Bow your head with me, church.